you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through the end. Acts chapter 8. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of studying your word. Pray that you would still our hearts and minds. God, I pray that you would get me out of the way. God, the reading and the preaching of the Word are the effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. And Father, I feel like the foremost of those. So I pray that you would call us to repentance, transform our hearts and our minds. In Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. I'm going to read a poem, not the whole poem, called The Hound of Heaven. Now, if you've ever known a hound, uh, even if you've never gone hunting, I used to have a beagle and Telling that dog no was, well, why bother, sort of. Uh, Once something caught his nose, that's where he was going. The Hound of Heaven describes sometimes the process. When we are later in life and we look on to things that happened earlier on in our lives, and we realize that that whole time, the Hound of Heaven, so to speak, God was pursuing us, was chasing us, was calling us to a different light. And we can see those things on this side of it, but at the time you were thinking, what in the world is happening? This poem was written by a man named Francis Thompson. Uh, When he was 35 years old, uh, he was on the streets. He was addicted to opium. He'd had uh, uh, an injury, and so he started to take medicine for the pain, and before he knew it, he was addicted to it. Uh, This was at 18... 93, the same problems we have today. They were having, the you know, addiction happens like that. And he found himself in the gutter. He found himself addicted, uh, destitute and poor. And then afterwards, he, he was rescued, but he, he actually died at the young age of 45 because of the troubles of life on the street. But later in life, he was able to look at those very difficult years. I mean, this was the life he lived until he was 35. And he was able to look back at those difficult years and see the hound of heaven as he describes. This is how the poem goes. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter, upvisted hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chastened fears. And from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than feet. And then later on in the poem it says, that that's, that's the man describing his, his running away from these feet, but then later God responds to him, and this is what God says, and human love needs human meriting. How hast thou merited of all man's clotted clay the dingiest clot? Alack, thou knowest not. How little worthy of any love you are. Whom will you find love deserving of you? Save me, only me. And which I took from you, I did but take, not for your harm, but just that you might seek it in my arms. All which a child's mistake fancies is lost, I've stored for thee a home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. Halt by my footfall, is my gloom after all, shade of his hand outstretched caressingly? Oh, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. This comes from a lifetime 
of looking back and seeing how God used even the darkest places to constantly pursue us. And even in the midst of us fleeing from Him, He was chasing us. What we're looking at today is because the Holy Spirit is at work in us and others, we should heed, we should pay attention to God's Word. There's often times as a pastor, as a parent, we see somebody making a decision and you say, don't do it. It's so much pain that you're putting yourself through and you don't even realize it. And yet, God uses even that to chase us, to pursue us. I'm sure you've had those instances. I know I certainly have. And that's what we're looking at today. This process of how God uses so many different parts to finally bring us to a faith in Him. Pay attention. Pay, give heed to what the Spirit is doing. In this passage, we see a man named Philip. Once again, we've been talking about him for several weeks. He's an apostle or a deacon who goes to this, ta- this area called Samaria. And if you remember, Samaria was rejected by the Jews. That's where... Uh, it's where you didn't want to go. Um, They were were lesser than the Jews, is the general perspective. And yet Philip goes there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And as he's going, he's scattering the word of God. And people there receive the message. We saw that earlier in this chapter. And if you remember from the beginning of the book of Acts, what is it that Jesus commanded them to do? He said, start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, which is what we saw at the beginning of this chapter. And then he says, go to the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing today, we're talking, there's, it's a story about an Ethiopian who's coming through. And the gospel ends up going to one of the furthest reaches of the world at that time. You see, here God uses the story of a hitchhiker to start a movement that would expand the kingdom of God. Nothing in this story is a coincidence. It's beautiful. So let's look at what it says. You know what I realized? I haven't even read the passage yet. I got so excited, I haven't even read the passage yet. The Bible is the most important part. Let's read that, shall we? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Hopefully he was not reading and driving at the same time. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come on up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, 
Here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip, was, Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now we can get started. If you look at the very beginning, especially from verses 26 to 29, we see the faith of Philip. As he's walking, God, or God calls him to go on a walk on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, geography is important here, so stick with me. Gaza is on the coast. Jerusalem is near, close to the Jordan River. To get from Jerusalem to Gaza, you're going through the desert. There is nothing on the way there. So if you're going to Gaza, that's perfect, but it's not like he's going to be able to stop and find a McDonald's along the way. There's nothing along this road. Thankfully, it is a downhill walk, so he's walking downhill. But for about 40 to 50 miles, it's, it's about a 40 to 50 mile walk, but for 30 miles of it, it's absolute deserts. There's no towns, there's no villages, there's no city, nothing but desert. Also notice that he's the one that's walking, but there will also be a chariot. If you notice here, it says that they, well, they're both coming from Jerusalem and they're both going south on this road. So this chariot, first God sends him, but God also knows that this chariot will be coming through. Essentially, Philip had to have left before the Ethiopian did. So God knew that this Ethiopian was going to be going along this road. So he says, hey, Philip, you go ahead first. Philip has no idea why God would send him down this road. There's nothing this way. But as in before with Samaria, he obeys the voice of the Lord. He does it. Sometimes God's requests are strange. I've often wondered how God spoke to him. Was it a still, small whisper? Was it just a nudge? I feel like I should go. Does God do this often today? We just don't even realize it. I think so. I think so. Has God, have you ever felt a nudge that you should, you know, somebody says, oh, I really wish I had the blessing of God. God's giving you an opportunity to share the gospel. And you think, maybe I should do it, maybe I should do it. And you say, nah, I'll just get my groceries home. How many times do we feel that prompting of the Spirit to tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ and we ignore it because we'd rather do something else? But here the Spirit speaks to Philip. And what does the Spirit say to Philip? Not only go down that road, but then the Spirit tells him, go speak to this man. Now, I want to ask you, what if he hadn't done it? What if he had said, nah, that guy's on a chariot. That's fine. Or, uh, he kind of looks like a, I mean, he's in charge of, he's clearly a very wealthy man in a chariot, and he's in charge of all of the treasury. So, uh, we're in a different state of life. He can go ahead on his Mercedes. I'm, I think I'm good, Spirit. He's not going to listen to anything I have to say. What's amazing is an entire group of the church, and we'll see this at the end, is influenced by this encounter. Have you ever felt that still, small voice to say something? What's amazing is, I think, the more often we say yes to that still, small voice, and sometimes we embarrass ourselves preaching the Word of God, that, that, that sound, that voice of the Spirit grows a little bit louder in our ear. But every time we say no to it, it grows a little more quiet. Every time you, you feel the call to, to show kindness and you do do it, it grows a little bit louder. And every time you reject it, you say, no, I just don't have time to do it, it grows more and more quiet. Here we see a man who listened when God spoke to him. What's also amazing is that Philip has to run after the chariot. Now realize, you have a man walking and a man riding on a chariot. 
If he has to run after the chariot, there's no way he's running towards the chariot. So that means the chariot has already passed him. I've often, as I was studying this, I wondered, I wondered, did, did Philip at first say, nah, I'm good, and then this chariot goes by, and all of a sudden, have you ever felt that guilt? Like, oh, I should have done something. So he takes off running after the chariot. Maybe that was it. Maybe the Spirit spoke a little bit later. It doesn't say here. But either way, the Spirit, either way, he finally obeys, and he takes off to be to, to, to follow after this chariot. And he doesn't just stay nearby it, but he calls out and he starts a conversation with this man. If you look at the verse, what Philip does is he's running up to the chariot. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He takes the context. He sees a man reading the Scriptures and he says, hey, maybe God will open a door. Do you understand what you're reading? Hoping that the man doesn't. Isn't that amazing? Next, we also see the faith of the Ethiopian. But before we do that, I want you to think about gospel conversations and how they require intentionality. Uh, I was talking to somebody from this church, and they talked about how they put the radio station on Christian stations. And, and he even said, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of Christian music, but I really like the preaching. But what's amazing to him is he's often placed with other people who um, have to be in his truck. He's training the, 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 the next folks that are going to do his job. And he says, this opens up awesome conversations for us to talk about the gospel. So the reason I have my radio station on Christian radio station isn't really because I want to hear it. It's because I'm hoping a conversation will start. Do you look for chances to bring up your faith? Philip was not a superstar, but he listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Do we? Do we purposely put things in our lives so that we would have those opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you look at the faith of the Ethiopian, we don't even know his name. We just know what country he's from. He was an important man. He was a eunuch in charge of the, the treasure of Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians. So he was doing very well for himself, both within his station in life, but also monetarily. But he was also a faithful believer. Ethiopia is in Africa, both at that time and at this time. But this man was not only reading the Bible. Now, I want us to pause. He did not have it in his own language. If he was reading the Bible, he was either reading it in Greek or in Hebrew. If it was in Hebrew, that is absolutely astounding. However, more than likely, he was reading it in Greek. He was reading the Septuagint. If he was reading it, this was not his first language. This was not his second language. This was probably his third language. If he's a proselyte, if he's somebody that's going to the temple to learn about God. Also, have you ever tried to read in the car? I get so dizzy. Imagine a chariot. And I mean, it's sort of a joke, but at the same time, really seriously, think about it. This man was reading the Bible, regardless of how bumpy the road was. Now, I'm sure someone else was driving. We won't, we won't go there. That was a great question, though. Um, he didn't put a DVD player in his, in his chariot or something to distract himself. He decided to use every moment he had to learn more about this faith. Also, he traveled to Jerusalem to worship. Now, the trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is a really long ways. Furthermore, he's a eunuch. Furthermore, he's a Gentile. So if he goes to the temple, he's not even allowed in it. He has to stand outside in the court of the Gentiles. So not only is he reading God's word, not only is he traveling a long way, he's traveling a long way to stand outside and worship. Would you travel that far to stand out there just so you could be near the worship of God's people? 
It's so hard to get up in the mornings. And yet this guy understood the importance of worshiping. He'd been working on his heart for a long time. He was hungry to know the Word of God. There are people who have never heard God's Word, and they are hungry for what we have accessible at our fingertips. There's a story of a man named Brother Yun. He, he wrote a book called The Heavenly Man. I was actually talking about it with uh, Mr. Jimmy Sherrill this morning. Uh, he is a, he's a guy who uh, was in China during a time period when... Uh, the Bible, scriptures, it was illegal to be a Christian and scriptures were not allowed in the country. And so uh, he never heard the gospel, but he had this burning desire to know the God who created him. And he, so he started praying to this God and he started saying, God, I really don't want to know who you are. Then he has a dream. And in the dream, he's told to go to the house of a man and that man will give him a book. And that book will tell him about the God who loves him. So he goes to the man, knocks on his door, says, hey, I heard you have a book that will tell me about God. The man that's inside the door says, I have no idea what you're talking about. The reason he said that, because he didn't want to die. If he had pulled out the Bible, there goes his life. So he says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Brother Yun goes to this guy's house day after day, says, you have that book. Finally, the guy pulls out his Bible, tears out the book of Matthew, and gives it to him. Says, here you go. Brother Yun goes, you know what he does the next month? Memorizes it. Comes back, says, give me more. Gives back the book of Matthew. Guy tears out Mark, gives it to him. Do you realize? My roommate right now, he's in Chad, Africa. He's translating... Uh, the Bible uh, into a, a language of a people group that don't even know the Bible. He's been there for, I think, five, six years now. He's the only Christian. There's a guy that started helping him with the translation, but this man wanted to get married, and so uh, he had to renounce the, his faith in Christianity, and so again, he's the only Christian daily. Do you realize how hard people work to get this book? And you have it in your home. Do you make the time to read it? People put their life on the line. People learn languages so that they can read it. Do you read it? And that's what we see in this man. This man from Ethiopia. He's reading the Bible. He's reading Isaiah 53, what we just read. And he wants to know, who is this about? What's amazing to me, he's on chapter 53. How many chapters has he read already? Assuming he's only read the book of Isaiah. This man is so hungry for the word of God and he wants to know, who is this about? What's also amazing is, this is, so this story, as you read, if you read the story in the Greek, it's, it's, it's fairly complex until you get to the eunuch's words. And whenever the eunuch speaks, it is in the absolute most basic Greek available. So when he speaks, he's a beginner. He's not, uh, a scholar. He's, he's trying to stumble his way through it. He's not, you know, he's not using all different kind of complicated tense of verbs. He's using the absolute most basic kind. But reading the book of Isaiah in Greek is super hard. And yet he's doing it. He wants to know who is this talking about. And it's not a coincidence that he's reading Isaiah 53 right when Philip is walking by. That is no coincidence. There's other sections of Scripture that when you read, it's talking about the nation of Israel, or it's talking about uh, a David, or it's talking about uh, different parts. And, and you know, you can relate it to this. This is also talking about Jesus Christ, but it, it takes a more developed theological mind to do so. In this passage, there's no question at all exactly who it's talking about. At the begin- Here, he is in the suffering servant section of Isaiah. If you look at it, if you want to flip over to Isaiah 53, feel free to. But if you look at verse 2, it says, He had no beauty or majesty, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. That's talking about your Savior. He was despised, rejected 
by men. A man of sorrows. A man familiar with suffering. It describes the life of Christ, not as somebody who just suffered when He died. His whole life was suffering. He lived 33 difficult years. Why? Because you live a difficult life. And He took on the same so that He could, he could understand our, our, our state of life. You are not alone in how you feel, when you feel alone, when you feel sad, when you feel grief, when you feel angry. He took 33 very difficult years for you. He knows. He experienced it. He took on our humanity. Verse 4 talks about how He took on our sorrows and our infirmities. Verse 5, it talks about how He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. I got stuck on that verse. What does that mean? What does it mean by His wounds we are healed? I want you to think about this for just a second. Christ took on a body forever. How many of you have scars that you're proud of? If you were to ask that to a room full of 10-year-old boys, they would say, oh, check this out. They usually carry a good story. Christ's wounds. What's the story they tell? His love. What's amazing is His body in heaven will have those same wounds. So when you get to heaven, this body that aches in the morning, this body that has infirmities and and disease and, and one day will die, Because Christ's body still has those wounds, He has promised you a new body, a perfect body. By His wounds, we are healed. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And then it gets to the verses that He reads. These are the verses that's quoted in Acts chapter 8. Up until that point, it's describing Jesus to a T. And this is what he reads right when Philip and the Ethiopian, right when their paths meet, this is what he reads. Like a sheep was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before the shears is silent, and so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied to him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. For the followers of Christ, for the early Christians, this, there could not have been a better verse. This Historically, when people read the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, sometimes they thought, before Jesus came, they thought, maybe this is talking about a prophet that we don't know about, or or maybe this is talking about Israel, or, or maybe it's Elijah being revived. But really, there wasn't a clear understanding what this meant. However, in the history of mankind, I want to ask, I want to show you, no one else justified many. No one else bore our iniquities. No one else bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressions. No one. This passage can only be talking about Jesus Christ, the unjust death of Christ. He was not suffering for His own sins, but His death gives gives us power. You see, this passage is about the promised Messiah, and Philip has insider news into this promise. And as he's describing the Savior, and as he he starts with this passage, and Philip starts telling him about who this Savior is and how he died for us, the eunuch, he's a doer. He's not a thinker. He's not like, oh, this is really interesting. Let me think about it. He says, no. Why wait? There's water. Baptize me. You see, God uses his personality, his background, and even his ignorance to prepare him for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you ever think God would use your stumbling through the hard words in the Bible, for His kingdom. 
Did you ever think that not understanding God's word and, and struggling through passages and reading the same one over and over and over again would actually help bring somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? He did it here. There's a story of a... John Kearns tells a story about how he was asked to teach uh, a group, a Sunday school class that was exceptionally rowdy. And so they sat down and they started going through the shorter catechism. And that what they would do is they would read this catechism question and answer and then all the scripture passages that were connected to it. Very simple methodology, but it was effective. And the, when he first started, uh, he, would, he would ask the different kids to read. And there was one boy in there that did not like reading. The reason he didn't like reading is because he stumbled through it. He didn't feel like he was very good at it. And when he would read and kind of get stuck on a word, the other kids would kind of snicker and laugh at him. John Kern said, hold on. Do you know that at laughing at him, you're laughing at me? Because I was that kid. I, I hated reading. And I, I couldn't say the words, but somebody stuck with me until I was able to do it. If you laugh at him, you're laughing at me. And if you know that man, he's tall and he's got big old hands and he's scary. And that, that ended it. John Kearns is struggling to read the Word of God. Enabled him to show others that struggling through reading the Word of God was okay. Easy things, good things, are never. it never happens automatically. It's never easy. It's going to take work. Things worthwhile take work. Studying God's Word takes work. And if you look at verse 37, you'll notice that it's not there. Say, wait a second. What's going on here? I want to give a pause for us to think about in many about what's going on here. And I'll do this really short, but I think it's important for us to have this background knowledge. In many, in some later manuscripts, verse thirty-seven says, "And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may." And he answered, "I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God." And then it goes on into the baptism. There are a few places in the Bible where there are different manuscripts that disagree. So, for example, there are manuscripts in the 2nd century, in the 3rd century, in the 4th century, 8th century, and so on. Early manuscripts, there's a couple places they don't have. This is one of them. Mark chapter 16 is another one. John chapter 7, verse 53 to 8, uh, I think it's 14 or 15. It doesn't, it, a lot of the later manuscripts don't have, don't have those sections. Now, the Word of God is inspired. It's well-preserved. God has kept it and protected it through time. But there are certain changes that are there. For example, there's sometimes that an article, a the, the word the isn't there. Does that change our faith? Well, no. There's other times that instead of Christ Jesus, it just uses the letter XC. And one of the reasons they did that is in the Old Testament, you never wrote out God's full name. And so in the New Testament, one of the ways the church was showing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God was doing the exact same thing they'd done. In the Old Testament, for the name Yahweh, they were doing it for Jesus Christ. There was theological importance for why they were just putting the X and the C. But in this case, it's an entire verse. There's a couple places where we don't know if it was part of the original. However, we are called to trust in the Scriptures. When I read that, is there anything in there that goes against the rest of Scripture? Let me read it again. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Those exact words are found in other places of Scripture exactly. So, what, my encouragement to us, when we get to these sections, we shouldn't think, oh, I can't trust my Bible. Or if you read on the History Channel, they say, see, they're not all exactly the same. What's amazing, though, is with these sections, somebody who's copying it, maybe it was just a mistake that they made. 
Maybe it was that they, they felt like it wasn't perfectly clear, and so they added it. The idea is don't found your theology, the, the very basis of everything you know, on those sections. But if you read the rest of Scripture, you'll, read, you'll find those sections do not disagree with the rest of Scripture. You can continue to trust the Word of God. This may have been addition. I don't think it was. But even if it was, it does not contradict the rest of Scripture. So I just want, I wanted to point those out to you. I wanted you to be thinking about it for you to know about it. There's nothing to fear when you read, when you hear those different elements. So verse 37, it's not that they forgot it. It's not that your Bible's no good. Um, but God uses a human process and mis- people who make mistakes to protect his word. And you can trust in his word as you can study it. Lastly, so we focused on the faith of Philip. We focus on the faith of the Ethiopian. What I want us to notice is the work of the Spirit throughout this whole thing. If you read the book of Esther, it never says the name of God. But it says, it just so happened that, and as you read the story, it tells a beautiful tale. But it shows that God was very deeply involved in it. Another place in the book of Ruth, it describes, it'll say, it just so happened that Ruth went to the field of Boaz, which is very clear that God was directing her. It's sort of a sense of humor within the Bible that God is working in each event and each minute detail. This tale of the, the, the road and the chariot and the reading, it's not about how awesome Philip was, and it's not about how awesome the eunuch was. It's about how awesome the Spirit was. The Spirit and His work are absolutely amazing because it's the Spirit who sent Philip. It's the Spirit who's guiding the the reading of Isaiah and places Philip just at the right time so he hears Isaiah 53. It's the Spirit who confuses, in some senses, the eunuch, but also who provides the good news. It's the Spirit who provides the water so they can be baptized. Remember, they were in the desert. How is it that the eunuch says, look, there's water for me to be baptized if they were in the desert? Who do you think provided that water? There's one of three wadis that it could have been. It's also the spirit that directs their parting of ways. If you look here, it says that one way went one, that Philip was taken, and that he keeps on preaching the gospel wherever the spirit took him. And he goes from Azotus, which is uh, uh, Ashdod reconstructed, and he goes up, Philip ends up going up the coast, kind of like the beaches, I guess, all the way up to Caesarea. So he walks along the coast telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. But what does the eunuch do? The eunuch takes the message with them. This was a eunuch, an African, a Gentile. And he's baptized. And what does he become? An evangelist. Now, how do I know that? Today, there is an Ethiopian church that traces his roots back to this man. After the Ethiopian went to preach the gospel, uh, in about 350 AD, two missionaries went uh, and they found, they found already people who knew the gospel, but there was a man, in 350, there was a man named Frumentius who was ordained by Athanasius. Don't worry if you don't know those names. And he, was, he ended up baptizing the king. And, and we have record of the biblical text that they read. Do you know what biblical text they read? The same ones we read. And then a few years later, in 530, in the area of Nubia, which is so, it's, it's the northern part of Ethiopia, uh, the entire nation as a whole accepted Christianity. In, five, in the 530s. They, we have record of in the 1270s, the Ethiopian church came to see their faith as a, conti- a continuation of Solomon's dynasty. And the Ethiopian king the, became intertwined with the affairs of the church. And so the, the king became one of the prominent leaders of the Ethiopian church. And what's amazing, that church is still alive today. It's one of the oldest continuous churches in existence. 
because of a man who listened to the Spirit. And then was taken on his way. I mean, 30, maybe 40 minutes of talking. Maybe three hours if we're generous. And onward, the church was completely transformed. First, I want us to realize the Spirit changed history. The crossing paths of these two people changed many lives forever. Christian, we are called to listen when the Spirit speaks to us. Through the Word, through prayer, and here's why. It makes an eternal difference. You sharing the Gospel. That little girl singing that song made an eternal difference. The other thing, the Spirit changes life. He can change your life as well as mine. If you find yourself struggling when you read the Bible that you don't understand, ask someone to help. Come to Sunday school. Come to Sunday evening study. You are meant to live a life that is more that is for more than yourself. Listen to the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit is speaking to us through our struggles in God's Word, through our struggles with the church. Your life and those around you just might change. So think about that hound of heaven that we talked about at the very beginning. God is using so many different occurrences in our life to call you to faith, to call you to repentance, to call you to sanctification, but He's also doing that to people around you. I'd encourage you, think and pray that God would use you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this this example of Philip. There's so many times that I feel the Spirit's prompting and I'm just too tired or I'm too busy. And I ask for your forgiveness for the many times that I've overlooked uh, the privilege and the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also thank you that you've used my sin, you've used my rebellion, you've used my uh, wrestling with your word to share the gospel to others. Even my wrestling of the word today, I pray that you would use that to bring the good news to others. Please, O Father, in the same way that you use just a little occasion here, I pray that you would provide us opportunities this week to tell others the good news about Jesus Christ. In His name we pray.